0: The story of Christmas stretches what is believable. And I I try to do that this week. Just read through the Christmas account as if I haven't heard it every single year since I was a baby. And you see some pretty incredible things come up. And by the way, if if you're not sure about God, if, if you're not sure about the whole Bible thing, I can see why the Christmas story would be your evidence number one for maybe why you don't believe in God or don't believe in the Bible because the story stretches what is believable. I mean, just think through some of the details and I'll just list a few because I think we know them. First of all, we have a pregnant virgin and her fiance is okay with it because this pregnancy came from God. And so right away, you've got something that stretches biological nature You've also got some supernatural events. You've got an angel choir giving a concert to some homeless shepherds who are living out near Bethlehem. And not only is the venue unexpected, but so is the audience and so is the choir. Okay, so there's an angel choir singing to some homeless shepherds. And we could go through all the details like these supposed wise men who traveled hundreds of miles to deliver some birthday gifts. But here's the the thing, the the big thing that should make everyone just stop and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. God became human. You're telling me that your God became a human and lived a life here on earth. Long story short, the, the Christmas story stretches what is believable. And I can see why someone might have doubts about this backstory to God with us. And today, as we wrap up this series, We're going to dig into that. The doubts that might exist about the whole backstory, or at least the main message of God with us. What we've been doing in this series is following the life of a man named John the Baptist, whose life was intertwined with Jesus in so many ways. John's job was to prepare people for Jesus. And what we've seen in this series is that a big part of that was calling people to repentance. What we saw in week one is that when it comes to the reason for the season, we can be distracted in a lot of different ways. But repentance calls us back to where our heart needs to be. Also, what we've seen is that when it comes to Christmas and the reason for the season, we can be filled with disappointment about how we celebrate Christmas. In fact, some of you may be disappointed. You can't attend in person for our Christmas services. But what we saw last week is that Jesus, the perfect gift, never leaves us disappointed. Then finally today, we're going to talk about doubt, because when it comes to preparing your heart for the reason for the season, doubt is something that can definitely get in the way of you appreciating the joy that God wants to give you this Christmas and always. And when you hear about doubt, you might think to yourself that doubt is maybe more of an intellectual thing. Um, in fact, you might say, if, if you walked into my office and said, Pastor, I have some doubts, I'd probably respond with a bunch of like, information. Like, let's read this, let's do this, let's do this. Um, and quite often we see doubt as a lack of information or conflicting information. But that's not what I've seen in my years of being a pastor. Almost every single time someone has come to me with a doubt, and I use that term loosely because quite often it starts just as a question, It's not because they were reading the Bible, and now there's some information that they're not sure about. Almost all the time, doubt is not an intellectual thing. It's an experiential thing. Like, a lot of bad things happen in a person's life, and then they say, Pastor, this happened, and then that happened, and all these things are just building up. I just, I I don't know about God anymore. Where is he? What is he doing? Doubt is not always an intellectual thing. More often, it's an emotional thing or it's an experiential thing. I put it this way for number one on our sheets. Most doubts begin over a personal issue, not a scriptural issue. Have you experienced that to be true in your life? Where you had some doubts about God, maybe not because of something that you read in the Bible, but because of something you were experiencing in your life? You couldn't have a baby. You couldn't get to the college you wanted. You couldn't do something that you thought was good and you thought God would bless. And things started to pile up, bad things that were taking you away from the direction you wanted to go. And you thought to yourself, where is God? Christmas, it's a great idea that God is with us. But there comes so many times in life where it's so easy to doubt that God is with me. So what I hope we can do during our message time today is to find a few things from John the Baptist's life where he teaches us what to do with those kinds of doubts. I'm not going to go through all the details of the Christmas story and prove to you that a virgin conceived and prove to you that angels appeared to some shepherds. Uh, Those are historical things that you can read about. But what I want to do today is focus more on the doubts that come from what we experience in life. And as we look at one final part, from the life of John the Baptist. We're going to see some amazing tools and tips for how to navigate doubt even in our world today. Now, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7, and we're going to jump around just a little bit as we get started because I want to give you a full picture for what's been going on in John the Baptist's life. But I'm actually going to start at the very end. I'm going to show you what Jesus said about John the Baptist. And then we're going to backtrack to see how Jesus got to this point. Jesus, talking to a crowd of people, John was nowhere near. Jesus, talking to a crowd of people, said, I tell you, among those born of women, and for those statisticians out there, it's a pretty high percentage of the population that he's talking about, there is no one greater than John. Jesus gives this amazing human of history award to John the Baptist. And and you might be thinking, what did John do that was so amazing that Jesus had to stop everything and say, I tell you no other person is as great as he is. What did John do? Get this. John doubted. It was not some great testimony of faith where John pointed to Jesus and gave some amazing sermon. John the Baptist had serious doubt about who Jesus was. John knew the Christmas story, but he was struggling with a doubt about whether God with us also applied to him. And that's what I want to dig into, you, dig into with, with you today as we wrap this up. And again, I'm going to jump around just a little bit as we get started to give you a full picture for what's really going on as John the Baptist experiences some intense doubt and in how it is that Jesus came to call him the greatest man ever. Um, but first, in John, um, Luke chapter 7, the section we're looking at today, Right before our section, in Luke chapter 7, verse 11, it talks about this this time when Jesus was traveling around with his group of people, and he was about to enter this town called Nain. And as he was going into the city, there was another crowd of people coming out of the city, and the crowd coming out was actually a funeral procession. This poor woman had just lost her young son, And now she would be alone. So the entire town came together to pay honor, to support her. And they were having this funeral procession to lay his body to rest. And one would think that a common courtesy is to step aside and let the funeral procession go on. But but Jesus... He stops the procession. He, with his crowd, gets in their way, and he actually puts his hand on the casket. Just imagine this, a stranger coming to your loved one's funeral, putting their hand on the casket as you're trying to deliver it to the, to the grave. But what happened next was amazing. In fact, I'm just going to share with you, if, if they had a Nain uh, um, community newspaper, I think this would have been the headline that week. It would have said, Jesus shocks mourners during funeral procession, shocking them not just by stopping the procession, but shocking them because he actually raised this young boy back to life. They were ready to bury him, but Jesus brought him back to life. People were so shocked that word spread everywhere. People who had witnessed this, wherever they went, they would say, did you hear what happened in Nain? Jesus stopped the funeral procession. He brought this boy back to life. I know his name. I know his mom. It's incredible. Um, It says, news spread everywhere. In fact, here's uh, how Luke records it. He says, they, the people in Nain were all filled with awe and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. This news spread about about Jesus spread throughout Judea. And the surrounding country, God has come to help his people. Have you ever heard something similar from someone you know? Maybe their loved one was battling a disease that seemed incurable, but then they got better and they said, Oh, God has answered our prayers. God has come to help. Maybe you heard someone who is kind of struggling in their career. Um, ended up taking an unexpected turn towards a better career, which was just everything they had hoped for. And they're saying, oh, God answered my prayer. God showed up to help. But secretly, inwardly, it's eating you away because your loved one with their disease did not get better. And you still feel as if you have no purpose in what you're doing in your life. You're happy for them. Yes, God showed up for them. But did God show up for you? News about what Jesus did spread throughout the entire area. And I'm sure there were many widows who heard this news and said, I'm so happy for that woman. But God didn't show up for me. Maybe this is just a moment to be careful about how we celebrate our good times, our blessings, and I don't want to diminish it. You should celebrate the blessings that God gives to you, but could you do so with an awareness of the others who might be wrestling, who might be waiting for what God has already given to you? News about this spread everywhere. In fact, here's why this is important. This news even spread to a prison cell. Just on the east side of the Dead Sea, where John the Baptist has been staying for a while. Here's the backstory. Back in Luke chapter three, John had been preaching. He had been teaching, calling people to repentance. He was a really bold guy. And by the way, he invented the ugly Christmas sweater. Camel hair. You know he was bold. But then here's what else John did. When John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch, I love how Luke just throws this out there nonchalantly. This wasn't the Herod that would have a part in Jesus' crucifixion, but this still was a government leader in the area, someone with a lot of authority, someone with a very high title and position. John, with his camel hair sweater, came in, and he didn't care about titles. He didn't care about positions. When John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch, because of Herod's marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, his sister-in-law, John's like, that's not right, dude. You can't do that. And John also rebuked him for all the other evil things he had done. Apparently, John just came with a list of the reasons why he's naughty, you know, his naughty Santa list. He he rebuked him for all these things. Herod added on to all of his evil things one more thing. He locked up John in prison. Didn't like what John was saying. So John the Baptist was locked up in this crazy prison on the southeast side of the Dead Sea. And chapter goes by, chapter goes by, Luke is telling the story of Jesus. And then finally the story of this widow in Nain comes up, how her son was raised back to life, news spread throughout the area, and guess who else heard about this amazing way that God had showed up but John. So 7 verse 18, John's disciples, when they heard about what happened in Nain, they told John about all these things. And I'm sure John, when he heard this, he was so happy for that woman, so happy that people could see God's power with them and happy to hear that God had showed up to help his people. But where was God for him? And this is ironic. His name is John the Baptist. But what has he been doing in prison? Not living up to his name. He's just been John. John. Maybe some of you can relate to that, where a lot of your identity has been tied to what you do, but then what you, when what you do is taken from you, it kind of leaves you in this void, like, well, who am I? John, the prisoner, is who he is now. And I'm sure if John is writing his headline, maybe it would go something like this, you know, John's still in prison, no baptisms for months, that's the headline for, for what's going on in, in his life. And you've been like this before, I'm sure, where you're kind of in a tough spot, your headline isn't reading all that great, and then you hear the news about other people and how God is blessing them, and you're happy for them, but you just, you struggle. God with them is great, but is God with me? Here's what I've found personally, that other people's good news won't change your headlines. It only makes your headlines stand out a little bit. More. So I think this is an important thing to do this time of year and really any time of year. Where is your life at right now? Or number two, I'll put it this way. What is your headline that you've been telling yourself? Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it filled with hope? Is it filled with hopelessness? What's your headline? Does it scream that you are succeeding in this world and that people are taking notice of you? Is it filled with blessings from God or is it filled with maybe some doubt? What is your headline? And have you been experiencing maybe that other people's good news has only been making your headline hurt all the more? I can't imagine what John must have been feeling in that prison cell. His disciples come to him and say, Jesus is doing these great things. And John said, we're supposed to be partners. Why am I still here? Why is my headline still, John in prison, no baptisms for months? So John did something that Jesus admired. Here's what he did. Verse 18, John's disciples told him about all these things, so calling two of them, John sent them to the Lord to ask a question. Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? That's a real question, (laughs) and it's so at odds with what he had previously said about Jesus. This is the same guy who on... Who earlier in his life had pointed to Jesus on two separate occasions and told crowds of people, Look at him. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now, in his moment of wonder, his moment of doubt, he sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one? Are you still him? Or should we wait? Should we put our hope in something else? And this is just such a real, raw question. And what I really appreciate is the way that Jesus responded to it. So first of all, Luke fills in the story. When the men came to Jesus, they said, "You know, verbatim, John the Baptist, the one who's supposed to be defined by baptizing people and leading them to repentance, but now he's in prison. I think Luke just threw this in there to you know, jab it. Or maybe as uh, John's disciples showed up, they said, John, the one who's supposed to be the Baptist, but he can't, John the Baptist sent us to ask you a question. Are you the one who is to come, or, or, are, should, or should we expect someone else? And so sometimes Jesus responds to a question with another question. Have you noticed that? People ask him, what should I do? And Jesus said, what do you think? Or he says, what have you read? And he'll let them answer their own question. Jesus doesn't respond to this with a question, though. This is interesting. He responds to this with action. Whatever he was holding in his hands at that moment, when, the disciples, when John's disciples asked the question, he's like, here, hold this. I gotta show you something. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. He let them see. He let them hear what was going on. He didn't just say, Yes, I am the one to come. But he proved to them through his actions who he was. This was a direct fulfillment of what had been prophesied in Isaiah hundreds of years before. Isaiah chapter 61, Jesus was basically going down and showing them everything that was prophesied. And so, after all this, verse 22, he turns back to the messengers and he said, Go back. And reply to John what my answer is. Not what I tell you, but what you've seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the, to the poor. Everything that was supposed to be done by the Messiah is being done in me. And here's where it, it always stretches me, stretches you perhaps. When we're going through hardships... It's so hard just to see everyone else around you being blessed in different ways, but you yourself are missing out. And it can cause you to doubt, where is God for me? In this moment, Jesus challenges John to think of the bigger picture, that this isn't about improving the quality of your life. This is about changing people's eternities. So as as Jesus sends back these two disciples of John, He says, there's one more thing, one more thing I want you to tell him. Don't just tell him what you've seen and heard, but I have a special message that I want you to share with him and relay to him. And he starts like this. Make sure you tell him, blessed is anyone, anyone, regardless of their circumstance, is blessed if something happens. And I'm going to show you, and you can obviously read ahead if you want, but I'm going to show you what Jesus pointed to as what it takes to be blessed. But I think we should pause at that word blessed because it's thrown around way too much from every time you sneeze to every time you look at a kitchen decoration. We're really blessed in my house. We're blessed on every wall (laughs) in many different ways. But that word blessed, I think it's something we just skip over. We think, oh, blessed kind of means happy. When you think about that word blessed and what it actually means, it means that you are experiencing something that you shouldn't be able to experience. I put it this way for number three, if you want to write this down. To be blessed is to experience the joy of God's favor. We all all experience this on lesser scales. Um, Perhaps you've experienced how a relative is just so happy to see you. A grandma, a grandpa, a mom, a dad, a sibling, an aunt, an uncle. Maybe it's a teacher or a coach. That Just whenever you show up in their life, they're just so happy. Their favor is on you, and you know the joy of their favor. When you are blessed, you are experiencing the joy of God's favor on you. And that is incomparable with any other thing you could possibly experience in this life. To be one who is blessed means that God doesn't play favorites. He favors you just as much as anyone else. Even even if they were cured and you weren't, even if they got the career that you didn't, even if they have the relationships that you hope for, to be blessed means that you can enjoy the joy of God's favor for you. Blessed is anyone, he goes on, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You might think, this is a weird thing to tell a guy who's moping around in prison. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me? Really? That's your last line that you want us to give to John? Like, that's your closer, that's it. Not like you'll be out soon or keep up the good fight. Like none of this pep rally stuff. Just blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And Jesus said, he'll, he'll know what you mean. This Greek word for stumble is really interesting. And I really appreciate how this translation chose to translate it. Because the, the Greek word, it can be used in a lot of different ways. And in some places you see it translated as fall away. Not, don't fall away from God. Don't fall away from Jesus. But really, the word pictures an obstacle that gets in your way, something that has the potential to trip you up. Um, and what we know about things that make you stumble is that they're unexpected. Like the backpack that was in the hallway at my house earlier this week. That was unexpected. And so I stumbled. When Jesus was telling John, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He was telling John, look, when you follow me, there are going to be things that you don't like. There will be things that come with following me that have the potential to make you stumble. And John was experiencing that in this moment. He said, why am I sitting in prison while people outside are being raised from the dead? John was stumbling. And I just want to give you a few examples of things that Jesus may allow to come into your life that have the potential to make you stumble. Uh, suffering. Things that cause suffering may be things that he allows to come into your life. In fact, you, may, you might suffer more than other people suffer, and that could be the potential to make you stumble. Why are you allowing this if you really are with me? But Jesus says, suffering can have a purpose. It's not about your comfort. It's about how God develops you and and leads you to trust in him even more. Suffering has the potential to make you stumble. Another thing is intense uncertainty. When, When it comes to following Jesus, we have the certainty of eternity, but when it comes to the way we love people and the way we forgive people, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. And so you you might see that in your life and say, God, I thought you were going to show me the way. Would you just tell me what to do? And that uncertainty has the potential to make you stumble. And here's maybe something that we don't think about often. I didn't think about until this week. The need to extend grace to people is something that Jesus will place in your path. And this can make us stumble more than anything else. It is so hard to forgive, to let go of the grudge, and to forgive others as God has forgiven us. It is so difficult, and that can make you stumble and say, God, I don't want to forgive. No, (laughs) and that can be something that you stumble over. All these things Jesus predicted we would go through. And there's more. I just listed three. But John John was was hearing this word from Jesus, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Those who don't stumble will experience the joy of God's favor. Amen. No, not amen. We've got some work to do because if, if God's favor is dependent on our not stumbling, then we're not gonna experience a lot of favor. As, as you think through your life and some of the things that God has allowed to come into your life, you, you could say that you've stumbled over things that Jesus warned you about. And the things that are in your life have stumbled you even away from God, saying, well, where is he? And what good is he? But before we get to the end, I want to point out one thing about what's on this list. The things that I stumble over and the things that you stumble over are all the things that Jesus marched through. The intense suffering, not just the physical, but the spiritual separation from his Father in heaven when he was dying on that cross was something he chose. He did not stumble over it. He marched through it. And I can only imagine what it's like for the omniscient God who knows everything, the all-knowing God, to, to become a human being, setting aside the use of his divine knowledge so that he could be just like us, uncertain. And yet he wasn't stumbling over that. He marched through it. And when it came to the, not just the really bad people in his life and the need to extend grace, but when it came to even the people who were putting him on a cross, He extended grace. He did not hold a grudge. Rather, He marched through and He extended grace to everyone whether they deserved it or not. And that includes me and you. Grace is extended to me and to you and ultimately that's really the the final thing we need to to know about being blessed. To be blessed is to experience the joy of God's favor, but God's favor comes to you By grace. It's not something you earn or deserve. It's not something you lose. It's something that God decided to show you when he sent his son to march through everything that we stumble over. So, I know Christmas is filled with things that can stretch what is believable. But what I also know about Christmas is that all the unbelievable things that it talks about are proof of something greater. Christmas is the unbelievable proof of God's favor for you. Jesus sent to this world to march through what we often stumble over so that we can experience the blessing of God's favor given by grace. So this week, if you're watching in real time, This week, we'll be celebrating Christmas. And I just have one parting word of application for you. As you think about the headline that you've been living in, the headline you've given to yourself, whether good or bad, positive or negative, would you just keep that in mind as you prepare your heart for the reason for the season? And maybe ask yourself this question— Have you been bothered by the little blessings that other people have? Have you been letting other people's little blessings cloud your vision from the greatest blessing? Someone being healed is one thing. Someone getting a job is one thing. Someone getting their college. Those are little blessings compared to the ultimate blessing of experiencing the joy of God's favor. And the unbelievable story of Christmas is proof of how much God favors you. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, each of us has our own unique headline that we live in, our own unique set of circumstances. Some of us are living the great life right now where our headlines are filled with good news and we're happy, we're filled with joy. Others of us have been living in a negative place where our headline has been filled with shame, guilt, Things we're not proud of, brokenness, r- relationships that just don't get better, and we're in a bad place. But what I love about Christmas is that this is good news of great joy that is for all people, regardless of their headline. It's for people who are in prison, and it's for people who are enjoying success. Whatever blessing. We see around us or within us. Would you realign our heart this week to see the great, the great joy that we can have in knowing that your favor is on us? And as we're aware of the many things we stumble over when it comes to following Jesus this week, focus our hearts on how he marched through all those things that we so often stumble over. By grace, we enjoy your favor. And so this week, give our hearts calmness, address our doubts, and just help us to see the greatest miracle this world has ever seen. Bless us all in Jesus' name. Amen.